Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One particularly important topic that is discussed in Seneca's On Anger, book one, is the relationship between anger and punishment. A lot of people think that anger is needed in order to punish wrongdoing, so that if you're not angry, particularly as somebody who has authority and can punish, then you're maybe not going to do your job adequately. You're not going to take the wrong wrongdoers, the violent, those who prey on others, and do what you ought to to them. You'll, you'll be too lenient. You'll let them go and they'll prey on others. And Seneca wants to shift the way in which we look at these matters. What he's saying pertains just as much, I think, to the present as it did to his own time when this was a significant issue. So he asks, how should we deal humanely in, in a spirit? of humanity with wrongdoing and with the people who are doing wrong, wrongdoers. And, you know, he begins by looking at something that Theophrastus says, a good man cannot help but be angered by evils. And he says, oh, that's not the way to approach these matters. First off, you're going to be angry at everybody all the time. But what's more important is to think about how it is that we actually do change people by punishing them. And so punishment is not meant to be, you could say, this will sound a little bit silly, merely punitive, right? It's not merely retributive. It's not just about hurting the person who did the wrong thing. It's oriented towards making things better, towards he actually uses the word at several points, healing. So he says, how much more truly human to regard wrongdoers with a gentle and paternal cast of mind, not to persecute them, but to summon them back. When a person is wandering through the fields in ignorance of the way, it's better to guide him to the right path than to banish him, banish him from the path altogether. So he's got these two metaphors, guiding them to the right path and, you know, bringing them back in into what? Into the community of human persons. Now, this won't be possible with every single offender, as we'll get to in just a moment, but in many cases, that is possible. So he continues and says, the wrongdoer should be corrected both by admonition. Admonition is warning, censuring them, telling them they're doing the wrong thing. And he also says, by force, softly and roughly. And he must, now this is a really key point, he must be made better if this is possible for the sake of two different parties, their own sake, right? You don't want a person who's continually doing the wrong thing. And so if you can apply punishments in such a way as to help them realize that they've been screwing up and they don't want to live that kind of life going forward, do that, but also for the sake of others. And here we you know, should probably interject that for Stoics like Seneca, justice is indeed a virtue. And justice is the virtue that has to do with with how we live life together with others in community. So making the 
unjust person, at least a little bit more just, that's part of what punishment is supposed to accomplish for Seneca. So getting angry, is that actually going to help out? He says, who feels angry at the one he's healing? If you adopt this point of view, you're going to view your administration of justice as a healing process, a process of helping people become more whole, less damaged. And so he says, now, of course, if they cannot be set straight, nothing in them is gentle or offers ground for hope. Well, then we have to remove them from the company of mortals. And, you know, that might be the only available means to put a stop to their wickedness. Even then, he says, you can do this without hatred, without in Latin odio, right? So you can do things that heal them. You can also if need be, eliminate them, take them out of the community altogether. And he says, why should I hate the person who I most benefit at the moment when I separate him from himself? Surely no one hates his own limbs when he amputates them, does he? That's not anger, but a pitiable form of healing. And he, he's got a few other examples. We destroy rabid dogs. We kill a fierce and untamable ox and slaughter sick livestock, lest they infect the herd. We snuff out monstrous births and even drown children if they're born crippled or deformed. It's not anger, but reason. Ratio, the faculty that we have as human beings to, as he says, segregate the useful from the sound. And he says, nothing is less appropriate to the person who is punishing than anger. Why? Punishment is all the more conducive to correction if it's imposed as an act of considered judgment. So if we want to punish effectively, we can't be angry when we're doing it. We can't be motivated by hatred. And he wants to go on and say, not only should we try to avoid this, there's there's actually no need for anger or for hatred in order to punish correctly. He says, when it comes to restraining those who stray and commit crimes, there is no need for the agent of punishment to be angry. Why not? Well, because becoming angry is actually, as he says, a failure, a screw up, a damage case for the mind. So, if you're going to be somebody who is administering justice, you're engaging in judgment and, you know, sifting the case and figuring out what kind of punishment would be appropriate. Why do you have to be a wrongdoer to punish wrongdoers? Isn't that kind of silly? And, you know, Seneca's pointing out the incongruity there. We won't say necessarily hypocrisy, although he could have done that as well. So he says, what if somebody responds, shall I not be angry at a bandit then? So a bandit is somebody who is, you know, using violence, taking other people's stuff, probably getting away with it. Should I not be angry at a poisoner? Now, poisoner, that's about the lowest of the low that you can get among murderers. And he says, no. I don't become angry with myself when I let out my own blood. Every kind of punishment I apply, I apply by way of remedy. And then he goes through this interesting passage where he talks, he's sort of like going through a bunch of cases and saying, okay, this sort of case, I would apply this kind of remedy. And they're getting more and more and more serious. So he starts out by saying, you're still in the first stages of going wrong. Your slips aren't serious, but they are frequent. What do I do then? Reproof. I say, oh, you're doing the wrong thing. First in private, right? I take you aside and I'm like, hey man, you're screwing up. You got to knock this off, right? And then 
published abroad, meaning, you know, making it could be social media for us. For Seneca, it'd be like, you know, somebody saying something in public or maybe putting up a notice, and that might be enough to correct you. What if you're worse off? You've already gone too far to be healed just by words. Well, then we apply more painful remedies, disgrace. We censure you. We humiliate you in some way. You have something stronger burned into you, something you'll feel. You'll be sent into exile. In your case, the wickedness is already firmly set and needs harsher remedies. Oh, well, then we'll put you in the public stocks, right? So that's also humiliation. Or we'll put you in prison. And then he goes on and he raises the stakes. He says, your mind, which weaves a growing web of crime, is beyond healing. You need no motives to set you off. But wrongdoing is already a sufficiently strong motive for doing wrong. Well. In that case, there's not much we can do with you. We could put you in prison, but you're, you're going to come out of it. No better for it. You're not going to, it's not going to be a remedy. It's just going to be uh, something that you endure. And so he says, well, you've drunk deep of wickedness and you've so steeped your guts in it that it cannot be expelled except with those very guts. So in, in a case like that, we're going to have to kill you. And he says that we'll put at your disposal the only good that remains for you, death. Death is indeed a remedy for some people who are so far gone. And Seneca says at this point, you don't have to be angry as you're going through these stages at any point. You don't need to have anger motivating you to do the right thing and apply the remedies. He says, sometimes killing is the best sort of pity. If I'd entered an army's infirmary or a rich man's house as a medical expert, I would not have prescribed the same remedy for those suffering from diverse ailments. I've been recruited to heal the community. I see so many minds offer a range of vices. Medication should be sought according to each individual's illness. So being a good judge, being a proper punisher means thinking these things through and anger would interfere with that. He also talks about being like the law. Now, this is very interesting because, so there's a couple things going on here that, that are all connected together. One is Seneca, you know, throughout this work is criticizing Aristotle and yet Aristotle himself in the politics and, you know, also in other places is going to say that the law should rule not human beings. Why? Because the law is reason without desire or passion, right? The law is in certain respects more, we would say today, objective. And Seneca is saying you shouldn't just apply the law, you should be like the law. How does the law actually work? The law doesn't get angry at anybody because the law isn't something that feels passions like that, right? He says that I will Order not angrily, but strictly that the procedures prescribed by law be carried out, right? Non iratus sed severus, being strict, being a stickler for the requirement that is being imposed. And, you know, he goes on as well, and he says that the good person is going to behave like the law in these cases. Do you mean the law strikes you as angry at those who it doesn't know, who it hasn't seen, who it hopes will not exist? No, we must take on the cast of mind proper to the law, which is not wrathful, but resolved, constituent, right? It stands 
stands there in place. A little bit later on, skipping ahead in the work, he tells us that whoever is free of anger doesn't do any of these things that are, you know, typical of anger when imposing the penalty that each person deserves. Often, now notice, so he said that we should be sticklers, we should be strict. We can also sometimes exercise a bit of discretion. So he goes on and he says, he sometimes releases a person whose misdeed is caught out if the person's regret gives good reason to hope. If the judge sees the wickedness is not deep-seated, but sticks, as they say, to the surface of the mind, he'll grant a suspended sentence that will harm neither the recipient nor the giver. Sometimes he'll apply a lighter rein to important crimes than to lesser ones. If the former were committed through a slip rather than cruelty, whereas the latter concealed a stealthy and habitual cunning. So what he's talking about there is proportionate and prudent punishment or penalty. Sometimes we need to exercise a bit of what Aristotle called equity, epiakia, like where you relax the law, or we often today call this discretion or even mercy. And the point here is that, well, you can't do that if you're motivated by anger, right? So we want to be rational, calm, prudent as we punish people, not angry, not hating them. And then we can make punishments work for what they're supposed to do, namely to heal and fix the person who is being punished and to protect others from their future misdeeds. It's a much more future-oriented, present-oriented than past-oriented way of looking at punishment. And so Seneca thinks that anger and hatred wind up being completely out of place in the person who is punishing. Not only does anger not help you punish better, it actually is going to get in the way. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.